are looking live. I don't believe what I just saw. Anything possible? from the home of the 2019 AL Central Division winning Minnesota Twins. Woo! It's an emergency podcast of the 252 Sports Talk Radio is done by academics or just fans? Just fans. Today. Just plain old fans. I'm Chris Garretts. And I'm Chris Moore. Now, we just did a podcast yesterday, and Chris just did an emergency podcast about an actual emergency, namely the impeachment <laughs> of a sitting president, possibly, with election shock therapy. You should listen to that. Um, but I came in this morning... And I felt like I needed some help. Yes. So let me let me set this up. Chris really sure. has almost no idea what this is going to be about. Sam can't even be here. He's doing actual Bethel work. <laughs> but before we go, I needed a little bit of counseling here. And I yes. thought maybe this would uh, actually get at some things we should talk about mm-hmm. in our history and politics of sports class. So let me set this up. So if you're not a baseball fan, you might not realize that the Minnesota Twins have had one of their best years in history. They actually mm-hmm. won again today. But last night, they beat the Detroit Tigers. The Cleveland Indians lost the Chicago White Sox, which means it's mathematically impossible for anyone but the Twins to clinch their division of the American League. Correct. Even though they have three games left. Which they won one today. They did. So they actually, if they win out, they will tie the 1965 American League champion Twins as the best regular season record in Twins history. So it, it's been a remarkable year. Yep. I I was hopeful at the start. I didn't think it would be anything like this. Mm-hmm. That might be part of what we'll talk about. Um, but here's how my morning went. I knew the Twins had won, and I had watched uh, Francisco Lindor strike out and the Indians' hopes of the division. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was waiting for my son to wake up. I wanted to show him the highlights <laughs> and all that. You didn't wake him up? Uh, well, he wakes up before me anyway. Okay. Um, but I'm sitting there watching the highlights on my phone, and I start to cry. Wow. And now, like, the Twins don't win a lot. Like, <laughs> this is not the Yankees or the Red Sox, the Cardinals or the Dodgers, but just to give you a little context. But you're also not the Padres We're not either. the Padres. We're not the Mariners. We're not uh, the Marlins. Well, they've got yep. multiple. Yeah. But so this is our 11th division title. Mm-hmm. So I think four with the Old West and maybe the seventh now with the Central. It's mm-hmm. been nine years, but we've won a few. Yeah. We've had one wild card berth two years ago. Yep. And then also the 1965 AL title, which came before the divisions. Right. Uh, we've won two out of three World Series that we've been in. So there's mm-hmm. some track record of success. In 59 seasons, we've gone to the playoffs 13 times. So every four to five years on average. Right. I've been alive for all but three of those appearances. I feel like, Chris, yeah. the phrase, act like you've been there, should apply. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it's not like this outcome was up in the air or anything. Like, right. there, There's the mathematical possibility the Twins would have choked away six games against the two worst teams in the league, and the Indians would have somehow overtaken them. There was even the chance the Twins would have missed even the wild card if the A's and the Rays had kept playing well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there I was at 6.30 in the morning with everything else in front of me for this day, mm-hmm. wiping tears away. Texting back and forth with my history department colleague, Amy Poppinga, who was saying exactly the same thing. She mm-hmm. can't defend herself, but I'm going to enlist her here. Sure. And so we started talking about why were we feeling this way? Why did we both agree to wear twins paraphernalia, which and I'll you, show on my blog page. Yeah, you have the jersey and the hat. I don't have the jersey. I have the 40th anniversary 65 World Series twins jersey <laughs> on. I've got the hat. I've got my Homer Hanky with the Kirby Puckett sign ball in the office. So 
But for the context, I'm a pretty serious Twins fan. Yeah, Established are. on the 252, baseball is my favorite sport. So, like, if it's going to happen, I, I didn't cry about Minnesota United clinched their first playoff appearance last right. night in Major League Soccer. I couldn't care less about that. Um, but I care Go about you loons. So, Chris, um, you teach at least political psychology. I'm yes. going to list you as my, as my therapist here. I'll try. Why, why do you think that happened? Why do I respond that's – and I – feel like we're going to go over some territory to some degree we've talked about before why we sure. love sports but i think there might be other things here too so i've now presented you with my case doctor what um what's right. going on with me well um let's just let's just start out for the first and say that um i coming i'm not a minnesota native right i have decided to adopt the twins let me give you my own little story with the twins yeah, please. Uh, this goes back to uh, 2010, which was the last time they won the division. That's right. And they were down um, about five games or so with maybe 15 games to play. Yeah. And I said to you specifically, Chris Garretts, and <laughs> also to Sam Mulberry, who I was just, who both of whom I was just really kind of getting to know yeah, at new, this point. Right. And I said, you asked me if I had a baseball team. And I said, I, I grew up in Ohio, but I never really, I grew up on the other side of the state from both the Indians and the Reds. And so I never really rooted for either one of them. Strong. I was actually closer to the Detroit Tigers, mm-hmm. if anything, mm-hmm. but I, w- I didn't really root for them as well. And I said, I'll tell you what, if the Twins can overcome this five-game deficit, I will become a Twins fan. And they did. They did. They did. They, they won the division that back in 2010. And from 2010 on, I have been a Twins fan. Now, I'm not steeped in baseball history the same way you are. And so I'm thrilled that they won the division this year. I have, I have hopes for the playoffs, and I can't wait to see what happens. But I was not weeping at the breakfast no. table this morning. No. And so um, – there's, so you bring a degree of objectivity now to the, I mean, as you understand, sure, right? Like right. We, we've been to a game this year together, but you responded differently. Yeah. Let me, right? so let me suggest a couple of things. Probably more proportionate. What, well, maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, let me uh, let's say from an outside pers- perspective, looking in, Minnesota feels more emotionally engaged with the Twins than its other sports teams. Um, the Vikings are more popular. Right. Um, that is so like the uh, the modal jersey you'll see is a Vikings jersey, yep. Yep. not a Twins, not a Timberwolves jersey. Uh, but the Vi- the Twins because they've had some success, and because of because baseball, I think tends towards sentimentality a little yeah. bit more. Yeah, yeah. I think it is more likely to engender this response. I would Are also you telling see, me there is crying in baseball. I think there's crying Time for baseball. Yes, and there's crying true. for baseball. Yeah. Yeah. And I would uh, I would also suggest that because this has something also to do with the fact that season is so long. Mm-hmm. Football is a game of of spurts of violence punctuated by committee meetings. Um, <laughs> George but, Will, right? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. Um, <laughs> but Baseball is this long, slow build, and the Twins, although they've led the division almost wire to wire, mm-hmm. they've never really closed it out. And mm-hmm. so there's all the, they even gave away the lead for one brief. They did for in August. They gave away the lead, and so there's this a sense of Minnesota fatalism about their sports teams, and you could just sense it creeping up around August and said, "Well, eh, it's, the collapse is imminent." And they turned it around and they played great down the stretch, twenty-seven and thirteen or yeah. something like that, yeah. and they they won. And I feel like that that's there's, there's some some release, there's some catharsis, yes, which I think you're experiencing, which I think is legitimate and healthy and fine. Um, I, but, I should add, like this was for about five seconds. I haven't been like weeping all day. Good. I, I have not been using my Homer hanky to staunch an uncontrollable mm. flood of. Years. But yeah, I think catharsis makes a lot of sense. There was 
I mean, because there is that fatalism, too. Mm -hmm. Not so much because of the Twins, but because of our other sports teams, there's the part of me that knows that success is possible but expects failure. Yes. And so even as I knew, like, the Twins had an easy end of the schedule for the most part. Like, the Indians went, like, 640 from June 1st. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you kind of, they'd been there. They're a World Series team, right? Yep. And so, like, I think that release of... The worst is not going to happen. Maybe is is part of it. I'll I'll buy that. Yeah. I also would buy the sense mentality of baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other time I cry at baseball is at the film uh, Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. I think I probably admitted that when we were doing mm-hmm. Mount Rushmore sports yep. movies. Yep. Um, so I, uh, that that makes sense. The long season seems uh, and not to overly personalize this for all of our listeners, but um, we're in a challenging season okay. here in our institution. Here is number two. So this was I will give credit to Dr. Poppinga here. Mm-hmm. Who said in a texting way, like, I think it's misplaced emotion or displaced emotion, but I'm going to embrace it. Yeah. And I kind of said this morning when I had to justify myself why I would wear a twins jersey. To, this is my teaching intensive day. Like, I, mm-hmm. I would have to explain this to students and promote our class. In the sure. Meantime, right? Absolutely. Um, like, I just felt like I'm going to take joy where I can find it. This yeah. is a challenging time for us. We're going through a lot of challenges we don't have to get into, and more is going to happen before it gets better. Mm hmm. And so maybe like sports needs to intervene yeah. for a moment and yeah. it gives release. And so like, it's, it's not a sadness of tears, right? Like, these mm-hmm. are tears of joy, as silly as that might sound. <laughs> but like, maybe that needs to happen. Like there's, there's a lot behind those tears. Yeah. Um, so I, I was trying to think of like an analogy to this. And I think I was watching with uh, my son, the Ken Burns baseball documentary okay. like a while back, because he's at an age where you can kind of appreciate that. And we were watching the 1970s installment. And, you know, a big part of that is the 75 World Series, which we just talked about, probably sure. great sports years. But actually, a big theme of that is how good uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates were. You know, it's the We Are Family team. It's mm-hmm. uh, um, Willie Stargell and, and Bill Madlock and others. And part of what that documentary argues that I've read before and I'm willing to buy into, because it's also the time of the Steelers' first heyday. Right. That's also the time when Pittsburgh is going through enormous economic depression, right? The, the steel like industry is collapsing. Yep. Yep. It's becoming a rust belt town. They had not yet reinvented the I – mean, it's different than, like, the Steelers of the Roethlisberger era. Right. Where Pittsburgh has a different kind of identity. But, like, this is – not to sound overwrought or melancholic, but, like – I think for some Steeler and Pirate fan, that's what they had to live for, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, these were people who were out of work for a prolonged period of time who didn't know what the next decade would bring. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, like a century-long industry was being dislocated, but you've got your sports teams. Yep. And we've talked before when we interviewed Art Remillard about this. He he talked about the religiosity of Steeler Nation, right? And um, I wonder if on a very, very small level, it's kind of the sort of feeling like – there are times, apart from this podcast, our friendship and my actual classes, where I don't actually feel a lot of joy in my work right now. I'll mm-hmm. go ahead and admit. And so I'm going to take it where I can find it sure. in this game. So that, w- that was the hypothesis that instantly came to mind that I think makes some sense. Right. And I would so let me propose two just corollaries that both support that, that thesis. Uh, one, um, I'm a Detroit Pistons fan, mm-hmm. and their last NBA championship came in 2006, mm-hmm. and Detroit was in the midst of its real heartbreaking implosion economically, yep. demographically in 2006, and um, that team, even more so than the Red Wings championship teams that preceded it in the, 19, in the early 1990s, mm-hmm. in, in mid-1990s, 
was really embraced by the city. It was embraced not only because I think the team is African American and the city is predominantly African American, but also because of the ethos of the team. It was this starless uh, team that um, it's the last team to win an NBA championship without a big star. Yeah, um, right. and Detroit really kind of fell in line with this blue collar mentality of their team, and yeah. the bad boys kind of kind of notion or bad boys re- redo, and yeah. and so I think that's um, that supports your thesis of, the, of Pittsburgh as well. We see the same thing again just several decades later. Yeah. But and then I'm sure all- we could think of examples in other sports, like international competitions, mm-hmm. like the meaning of a victory. Like I. I haven't thought a lot about it, but I would think of like 1990 as an interesting World mm-hmm. Cup because it's a unified German team as that country is reunifying. Yes. I mean, so yes. there are images of Germans coming together in Berlin mm-hmm. in Hamburg, watching this team and celebrating the rebirth of their nation in a, in a sense. Kind of makes me want to go back and look at the sporting events immediately post-Civil War yeah. for the United States, perhaps. Yeah. Um, um, the, but the other thing I would add yeah. is just because we're talking about our place of employment and Bethel University is um, we've got some really outstanding Division three sports teams this fall. Yep. Yep. Uh, the football team looks very good. The women's soccer team is 7-0. and um, And there's probably others that I'm forgetting and I don't want to impugn anybody. But if either of those teams would make a run deep in the NCAA playoffs, I could imagine emotional reaction – from myself, similar to what's happening here, because that is the lived community f- that we're talking about. And to see it succeed in that kind of way, I think, would be um, pretty emotional. So it's funny you said lived community about that, because I would feel exactly the same way. Um, but it did occur to me this morning, as I started to turn my analytical glance on myself a little harder, that there's a different way of reading what I just described, mm. which is... Um, I participate in this community called Twins Fans. Yes. And it's related to this other community called Minnesota. And those are both imagined communities. Absolutely. Like, it's thank different you, when I'm at Thank you, Benedict Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just did nationalism in Europe in the 19th century, so I've been thinking about this. So there is this idea Benedict Anderson has that the nation is an imagined community because you will never have any personal, meaningful experience of more than a very tiny fraction of this community. And yet... The function, nation functions in the modern era in such a way that you are willing to uh, to kill, or he said, be killed, On because of the of depth of that emotional imagined connection. Mm-hmm. Now we're not talking about that. I'm not going to kill anyone for the twins, but thank you. I will weep for the twins. Right? Yeah. There, there's something about that community. Now it's. I mean, one thing like uh, scholars of nationalism point out, this is one reason sports events are so important is that that's a rare glimpse where you, when you sing the national anthem or God bless America, maybe especially right after 9-11 or something, Mm -hmm. you actually embody the community and you're kind of performing Jamie Smith calls cultural liturgies. I was just thinking of Smith here. Yep. Okay. So like there are things that have happened that kind of deepen, but it still is an imagined community. And there's a little bit of me that takes on the voice of a dear departed colleague of ours named G.W. Carlson. Mm -hmm. Who hated professional sports. I did not know this. Now, GW was an athlete. He was a runner. He was mm-hmm. a golfer. He coached uh, girls softball. Yep. His daughter was a really good softball player. He went to a lot of Bethel Athletic events. He loved at least Division three college sports, but he did not like pro sports. I mean, he was like a notional Yankees fan because he'd grown up in New Jersey, but mm-hmm. I never remember talking baseball with him. And I asked him about it once, and he said, well, it's a distraction. Hmm. And, like, GW was not a socialist or Marxist, far from it. But it did make me think, I wonder to some extent, could we interpret this as a as a version of what Marx famously kind of apocryphally says about religion? It's the the opiate, opiate of the, of the masses. masses. Right. Because yeah. that's always how I interpreted what G, GW meant. It's like, 
well, shouldn't those Steelers and Pirates fans have been thinking about what was causing this mm-hmm. and turning maybe their ire in some other directions? Mm-hmm. And wasn't this just a way of anesthetizing that discontent? Um, shouldn't I be more upset? <laughs> should, mm-hmm. I should be crying tears of anger about other things, but instead I've got sports telling me, well, you know, it's okay. I guess I would take that, it. I, I think I'm being very hard on myself with that. Yeah, that is please, I would encourage you as your therapist here Thank to you. take a more moderate line, which mm. is to say, when we talk about anesthetizing ourselves, we um, obviously people can anesthetize themselves to sleep, mm-hmm. um, but we also use anesth- uh, anesthesia for um, for proper pain relief mm. and for healing. It's analgesic, and, not a yes. Yeah. And so, in that regard, I would say that. Some amount of distraction is not only good, but perhaps I would go further and say necessary mm-hmm. um, to properly calibrate ourselves for fighting the good fight, for uh, for fighting against injustice, mm-hmm. for carrying on the real duties of our lives, um, physical, mental, and spiritual. We do need some of those respites um, to equip us. And, if, and lacking them, I think we, we, we run the risk of burnout. Chris Moore, you are. I will spend money and buy playoff tickets. You, <laughs> you me. Okay, that, that makes perfect sense to me, and I, I feel better being pulled back from that brink. Let me give you one final explanation. Sure. Because I did think, because I'm going to voice this on you, I should do a little bit of research and uh-huh. actually dig into this. And so let me ask you this. Have you heard of the Berg effect? No. So this is a phenomenon in social psychology that goes back to a 1976 article uh, written by... Oh, wait. Maybe I have heard of this. It's a bunch of professors at for the most part, big football universities. So they actually did three experiments. Mm-hmm. One of them in 1973 is they picked seven football powerhouses. So Notre Dame is in there. Uh, USC is in there. And yes, the Ohio State University mm-hmm. is in there. And so for this, I think they picked a stretch of like four or five games in the middle of the 1973 season. And one thing they monitored was on the day after a win, how likely were students to wear university paraphernalia versus on the day after a loss? Mm-hmm. And it's a significant difference. At your university, it was twice as likely that they would wear Ohio State stuff after a Buckeye victory sure. after a loss. And so they, I mean, they did this. There's also the sense, are you more likely to use, as I did earlier, the collective we mm. to lump yourself in with the team, even though I had nothing to do with the Twins mm-hmm. winning 99 games this year? Um, whereas after a loss, you distance yourself from it. And so there's actually a distancing effect, too, with an acronym I can't remember. It's like you say, I have nothing to do with their failures, but you bask in their reflected glory. Yep, sure. And so that's the Berg effect. And so I wonder if there's a little bit of – and here I am wearing a Twins jersey after mm-hmm. the biggest possible win short of you know further playoff success. Am I just basking in reflected glory? Which and, we don't have to dig too deep into well, why. Well, I think the answer is yes, but the also the question, the follow up question would be so so what? Oh, good. Okay. I mean, uh, I, I am. I'm, I do find it a little bit strange that you know you would if you'd start to say we as in using the royal we with the twins, that does feel. I am you know I'm a proud graduate of the Ohio State University, and I've rooted for their football team on many occasions. And yet, I've never said we referring to myself as part of the football team, mostly because I How are you all doing this here? Sorry, I used the collective you there. Yeah. Um, they are quite exceptionally good okay. this year, yeah. as, yeah. as per usual. Um, but it's, uh, but I never thought of myself, even, even on the rare occasions when I was actually teaching a member of the football team, uh, I never felt like I was in any way materially part of the team. Yep. And that, that has always felt a little odd to me. Yep. But, I don't begrudge someone who does it. Yeah, because there, I mean, speaking of lived and imagined communities, one undoubted thing we've already talked about and we'll talk about more, there is a kind of community around a sports team, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's a kind of mutuality and shared sacrifice and intensely shared experience and emotion 
that as fans we can really only glimpse and barely participate in. Now let me tell you one of my one of my friends is Ramona Peel and she refers to, she's very strongly a fan of the Seattle Seahawks. Mm. And she refers to herself as a 12. Yep. And I think that's a more I like that mental formulation better. Yeah. The idea so that the twelfth man is exactly the idea here, but that there's a unique role for the fans to play in parallel with the team, and mm-hmm. it's an important role. But you're not part of the team; you are an ancillary, outside force that supports the team, and it even can help swing the margin of victory, perhaps. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually curious if that actually because you have home field advantage, right? And yes. if that's more to demonstrable effect some places than others. I mean, like, teams encourage this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if only to be cynical, to sell me something like a Twins jersey, you will hear players interviewed saying, yeah, we couldn't have done it without the fans. The fans made a big difference. And sometimes you see it and you want to believe it. Like, did you watch the Liverpool-Barcelona? Uh, so this was in the UEFA, I think, uh, the Champions League semifinals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm going to get the numbers wrong. But I think Liverpool, British side, had gone down 3-0 at Barcelona. Right. Um, and the way it works, the tiebreaker is a way goal. So, like, if they give up any goal, it's going to be tough to come back. Mm-hmm. And they actually managed to beat Barcelona at Anfield Park in Liverpool 4-0. And, like, it's an incredible experience to watch. Like, sure. on a bad day, this is a pretty – and at the end of it, they all gathered together, the team, at one end of the pitch, facing their most intense boosters. And they – I forgot this. Um, you never – Walk alone. I forget what the song actually is, mm-hmm. but all Premiership teams have a song, and it's like the national anthem, but for the team. Right. And there is this kind of sense, like we did it, right? Like that's what everyone mm-hmm. is thinking. And it seems like the players even seem to be returning that to the fans. And so I assume a lot of people are wearing Liverpool red the next day, absolutely in Liverpool, maybe crying as as well. They actually went on, I think, then to win the Champions League. I'm not sure the Twins are going to go on to win the World Series. I'm not. This is not a prognostication but, kind of podcast. But what if? What would I do then, man? What would you do then? It's been a while. I mean, the final place I'll go here is, as I mentioned, this all started with me wanting to wake up my son or to talk to my son about this, mm-hmm. and I've said many times, especially with baseball. This is inseparable from family. Hmm. And it makes me think of going to the American League Championship Series in 1991 with my dad. Yeah. And it makes me think of my dad telling stories about 1965, which I did not live through. Mm-hmm. Or 69 was another great team. Um, and so I, 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 <laughs> I can't separate this from my feelings for my son and my sure, dad, who I haven't sure. seen in a few months. And that, that I assume is the other thing going on here, which is never far from the surface for me when it comes to most sports and certainly mm-hmm. not this time. Mm-hmm. So there's a part of me that thought, like, my son was, uh, f- uh, what, like 10 months old the last time the Twins won a division? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the first one he'll remember. Yep. And it's different than, like, two years ago they won a wild card game and they lost the game in New York terribly, as they're prone to do. <laughs> but, I mean, this is, I like, I... I remember thinking a few times, like, I I hope my son sees the Twins win the World Series. Sure. Because fair amount of Twin fans never saw that. Um, I saw two in a very formative stage in my life. And maybe I'm making too much of this, but I want him to have that. I want him sure. to see what a victory parade is like. And mm-hmm. there's something about that that is central to that's why that's my team. And it's why baseball is my sport mm-hmm. at some level. Note that football is not my sport. <laughs> I, I have lived through a couple of Viking Super Bowls. I was pretty young, but one of them, some of them actually came to my hospital room when I was a young child. Mm. I've only seen tragedy and, and loss there. Yeah. 
which my son has also seen, so he knows the deal. Well, Chris, thanks. I I feel better. Good. Like I actually right, you feel should. good because like yeah. it's only a good thing. But... but you should also feel good about feeling good. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that. So thanks for listening to this emergency podcast. We'll be back in like a week and a half or so for a regularly scheduled episode of the two five two. Chris, do you want to say anything? Yeah, on behalf of uh, my colleagues here at Bethel University, go you twins. Hey, this is Sam Mulberry from the Live from AC Second Podcast Network. We have lots of great shows in the network this fall, like Election Shock Therapy, Bookish at Bethel, The 252, Tweet Victory, and maybe a few more. If you like what you're listening to, go on to the Apple Podcast app or Stitcher and subscribe to the Live from AC Second Podcast Network. It's free, and it helps us deliver every new podcast episode right to you. So subscribe, listen, and enjoy. And as always, you can reach us at livefromacsecond at gmail.com.